The following message is entitled, The Defining Proof of Real Faith, Part 4. This message was given during the evening service on January 1, 2023, at the Eastside Bible Church in Chicago, Illinois, by Pastor John Stevens. Series title is A Joyfully Suffering Salvation, verses 6 to 9. Series number 3, as I've outlined, 1 Peter. And... Let's read verses 6 to 9, 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 6 to 9, as we continue on Sunday nights studying this dual tandem of joy and suffering, which is all throughout this epistle, including issues also surrounding godliness. 1 Peter 1, 6, In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been distressed by various trials, so that the proof of your faith, there it is, proving, being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found a result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, oops, charismatics, ding, ding, did you ever read that? But believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. Outlines, outlines galore. Let's go to the note sheet. We've already looked at verse 6 in your outline, Roman numeral 1, Christians are to be joyful despite suffering, despite trials, and this you greatly rejoice even though now for a little while if necessary you've been distressed by various trials. The trials are not, like I've said many times, getting a flat tire for Jesus or um, the pizza was undercooked tonight downstairs, so that's a suffering trial. No, this is trials for the faith, and this becomes plainly obvious as you continue on in this book. Roman numeral number two in your note sheet is where we're currently at in verse seven. Christians are to be joyful while suffering for Christ as proof of saving faith. And we have started letter A underneath that. Fill in the blank. Joy while suffering is the, it's all capitalized for emphasis, is the proof, fill in the blank, proof of saving faith. In order that the proof of your faith Proof of your faith. Point number one underneath it, joy while suffering for Christ is the major proof. Now, how do we know that? Well, it's the preceding verse. In this you greatly rejoice, though suffering, so that, verse 7, the proof of your faith may be found a result in praise and glory. So, obviously, the antecedent or the more simple way of understanding it is the preceding verse the entire preceding verse 6 is what Peter is referring to. It's a result clause, verse 7, coming out of verse 6. And since verse 6 is a continuous thought and statement, not broken up at all, then the one thought of verse 6 results as into verse 7 as the proof of your faith. So point number one under letter A that we've already looked at, anything above the line, Dotted line, obviously, is review, as I've told you many times. Uh, joy while suffering for Christ is, a, is the major proof of one's salvation. Now, the Greek reads slightly different in verse 7. It reads like this, in order that the proving of you of the faith, and that emphasis, I think, is important as we continue on. Just on the blank lines above the dotted line for review, just remind yourself that proving is the word dakimazo, dakimazo, like going to the dock, then add an I, then add mazo at the end of it. Dock, 
Dakimazo. Dakimazo, that's the proving. And what that word means in the Greek is to test metal for legitimacy, to test something for strength. You can write that under point number one by way of review. We saw that last time. So dakimazo is a term for judging or testing metal for strength, testing the legitimacy of some document in the Roman Empire, Greek, among Greeks or Jews. It's a broad-spectrum word that refers to testing legitimacy. So let's plug that in. So that the legitimacy of your faith, that's what it's saying. So in this you greatly rejoice those suffering, so that the proof of your faith, the legitimacy of it by rejoicing while suffering, shows us that we're true believers. So proving means we are found to be legitimately saved if we're suffering for Christ and have joy while suffering. That's what we've learned so far from the issue of proof. So we've seen the so that as a result clause, verse 7. We've seen the proof. Now let's go to number 2 and focus on the next phrase of the faith. And this is why the Greek is important. In order that the proving of you of the faith, the proving of you of the faith, it's more intense. The proving of you, your faith. That's the idea. So point number two in your note sheet, this is one of the major reasons we experience trials, to test the faith, T-H-E, the faith of you, to test the faith of you, of me. It's a major reason we experience trials. We want to see if we're going to suffer for Christ and have joy. This is a proving ground. This is legitimacy. Just as heat tests gold, as we'll see and talk about gold in this verse, and purifies it, Suffering in the Christian life tests the legitimacy of our faith. And it's suffering for Christ. It has to be unique to us. Because any suffering we have that an unbeliever can have, how would that prove that we're believers? So to use a ridiculous example I've been using throughout, if you have a flat tire and you're having to change it at midnight, you're not going to say, oh, I'm suffering for Jesus. Well, an unbeliever could have a flat tire at midnight. That doesn't prove anything. It's when you're suffering directly for evangelism and ministering the word or serving in a church or doing evangelism outside of the church. The two ways that we suffer are through serving Christ evangelistically and in a local church with our gifts, and that will bring suffering. So this is one of the major reasons. Letter A under point number two, it's not the only proof of saving faith, just to remind you. It's not the only proof of saving faith. That would be too telescopic. It would be too narrow-focused here. So just let me, in fact, even in this chapter, remind you of something that I've been looking at recently. Look at verse 14. First Peter 1.14. Peter actually gives us another couple very important proofs of uh, saving faith. And verse 14 is a conundrum for me. And uh, I'm still working on it. I work ahead on the verses that I'm ahead on the series because I can't figure everything out in any text in just six days. So I have to mull over them. And I'm mulling right now over verse 14. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in your ignorance. Um, it literally reads, as children of obedience. That's extremely important. We'll talk about that when we eventually get to it. But there are two proofs of saving faith right there in verse 14. Um, one is positive and one is negative. Out loud, can somebody tell me what the positive proof of faith is in verse 14. No, that's not verse 14. Are you in the right epistle? 
Or you're in verse 15. Sorry, we're in verse 14. What is the positive, in verse 14, what is the positive, one of the major positive proofs of salvation? Obedience. Children of obedience. It's actually, and, and when we get to that, we'll understand that you don't want to say obedient children. That's not what the Greek says anyways. It says children of obedience. It's extremely important to maintain that order because this is a statement of who we are, not what we're doing. Obedience. So obedience to what? To the word. How much? All the way? Every day? Never a minute when you're disobeying? I don't know that I asked one. I didn't know that I just asked one. Did I ask a question? I may have. Yeah, I said, all the way? Every day? Every moment? How much obedience proves that you're a child of God? Aha! Not an easy one, huh? So, well... When I figure that out, I'll let you know when we get to verse 14. Now in verse 14, what is the negative, another negative, major evidence of conversion? Not conforming to former lusts, former would refer to when you were an unbeliever, which are yours in your ignorance. Do you still have a sin nature? Is it marked by lust? Hmm. So how do you know when you're lusting as a true believer and not conforming to lust as a true believer? Hmm. Conforming is a very important word. It speaks to, to a schematic, like having a drawing of uh, a uh, building or something or doing a painting like Rebecca does. And maybe you sketch out a schematic of what you want before you paint so you don't uh, throw all your paint eggs into one basket and then totally blow it. And we used to do that in art school. We'd have to come up with a very accurate proportional schematic of what we're going to paint. So the word conform means... Uh, uh, do not do an outward schematic or conformity or picture to your former lusts. Wow, that's uh, very convicting to me because, like I said this morning in the communion, it's very difficult to maybe tell if you are growing spiritually from a positive point of view. But from a negative point of view, we certainly know that we're lusters. All Christians are lusters. And so we have to figure that one out as well. So I'm just pointing out to you, that Peter's not saying in verse 7, this is the only proof. He says we are children of obedience and we're not, a true, no true believer is conformed to their former lusts. And uh, that is something where we're going to have to be very careful with the interpretive line and draw a trace down this very carefully, a very narrow road so that we don't fall into conformity, legitimizing it as believers nor swing to the other side of this narrow road and say, if I'm lusting, I'm not saved. So that's down the road. Back to verse 7 then, um, and letter A. It's not the only proof of saving faith. Underneath that, then you can write two more that I just mentioned to you. Consistent obedience and consistent non-conformity to lust. Consistent obedience and consistent non-conformity to lust. That is such a mouthful because that is screaming for definition. How do you define consistent? Mm. 
Well, maybe you can do the Bible study and let me know this week. Letter B. Again, this is not faithfulness in verse 7, but our saving faith. Let's not morph your faith into faithfulness. This is, again, the Greek says, the proof of you of the faith. It's not your faith, it's the faith. It's the faith in you, but this is an item. This is referring to conversion, so write that under letter B under point two. This is referring to conversion faith, the inception of faith, saving faith as a whole. That's what this is referring to. The proof of the faith that you and I have. No unbeliever in any time, in any culture, nation, or situation has ever had this faith. Unbelievers have faith. They talk about it all the time. I believe. I have faith. This is unique to born-again Christians. This is saving faith. Totally unique to us. So the proof is not happy. I know I'm saved. The proof is not I have trouble in my life, so I know that I'm saved. No. And the proof is not of just faith, any type of faith. So we have to get this extremely accurate. Letter C. What is unique to Christians? Real joy while suffering for Christ is the proof of the faith in a believer's life. That is exactly is the proof. Real joy while suffering directly for Christ is the proof that I have the faith. Salvation. No unbeliever has that. No one suffers for Christ as an unbeliever. Catholics may be persecuted in Muslim countries for the Christ that they believe in, but the Christ that they believe in is not the Christ of the Bible. That Christ is still on the cross. And his blood is still being shed. That's a false Christ. It's a demonic Christ. So that's it, folks. Let us see in a nutshell. That is the proof. That is the dakimazo. That is the proving ground of whether we're saved or not. That is the testing of the metal of strength. That is the legitimizing of our salvation. The whole idea of proving faith speaks to the fact that there are knockoffs, right? Why do we have to have experts in art museums that check the legitimacy of paintings because there are forgeries? We had to actually do that way back in, uh, before Christ when I was in um, art school. We had to, I had to take a course and study the... Uh, Real thing versus the fakes of various paintings. We did it with, uh, well, that was ancient history, slide projector photos. So what can I say? You know. And uh, then we had to go to the museums and we had to confirm that and go around and check the strokes on the canvas. Why do we have to do that? Well, why are there experts who test paintings? Because there are forgeries. Folks, this is a bombshell what Peter is saying. Having to prove our faith demands the reality of fake conversions. If there is a proving of legitimacy, then there is the reality 
of forgery. Please write that down under C. If there is the proving of legitimacy, there is the reality of forgery. That makes sense. And if Satan is masquerading as an angel of light, he was the, greater, the great forger, wasn't he? Yes. You think he was really concerned about Job when he confronted God about Job? You think he even cared about Job? No. He's trying to bring the throne down by showing that, uh, hey, this is the best you've got, God, is Job. Uh, you hand him over to me, I'll show you how illegitimate you are because he's illegitimate, and if we put enough fire under Job, he's going to crash. So it was all about taking God down through Job. He was just the guinea pig in that whole story that played out. And some have said, well, he did crash and burn. Well, he repented at the end. That's not crashing and burning. That's a good thing. There's no such thing as a backslider who repents. So repentance is what all godly believers do, and Job repents at the very end and gives us a tremendous theology of repentance and what a really godly believer looks like when they repent. Tremendous passage in the Hebrew. So the reality under letter C is when there is a legitimate conversion that is proven, that demands the reality that there are forgeries out there. And we don't want to replace any of those terms or we create a false proof. A false proof. It is real joy, verse 6, greatly rejoicing, while distressed by various trials, trials for Christ, that is the proof that we are truly in the faith. Not my personal faith. I've had some occasionally say that to me who are forgeries, conversion forgeries that have long since left our church. I've had a few that have come up to me and said, and I've said, well, that's what the faith is. That's the faith in the Bible. And they've said to me, that's not my faith. And I've said to them back, you rightly so say that. And they thought I was complimenting them. I wasn't. That was a statement of doom to say that back to an individual. You rightly so have your own faith. That's not a good thing. We don't have my faith. It's the faith of the Bible. This is what we have. It's the same for everyone. So let's take a moment then to review our perspective or overriding principles so far. The two that are light-faced and small are from verse 6, and number 3 perspective is currently from verse 7. Perspective number 1 on joy. Joy is encouraged confidence. That's a good two-word definition of joy, encourage confidence in our precious salvation and protecting Savior. It is encourage confidence in our precious salvation and protecting Savior. That's, of course, the joy of verse 6 is based on salvation in verses 3 and 4 and protection, verse 5. Second perspective that we saw in the previous series, just for review, joy is meant to be a partner with persevering trials. That's in verse 6. Greatly rejoice while distressed by various trials. And now we'll bring in perspective number three. At this point, in the middle of verse seven, fill in the blank, joy while suffering for Christ is proof that our salvation is real. It is proof that our salvation is real. Not the only proof. I showed you two in verse 14. But this is what you want to look for. When you stare in the mirror, you say, how do I know I'm saved? Do not do what many believers do. Well, I know I'm saved because I asked Jesus to save me. Mm -mm. When we get to the textual note at the bottom, 
we're going to put holes in that statement with a 357 Magnum with wad cutters. But before that, let's look at letter B. Now we go on to the rest of the verse, the nature of proven faith. It is described now after this phrase, so the proof of your faith, being more, see we're describing this proven faith now, being more precious than gold which is perishable even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Let's take that and I type that rest of verse 7 into your note sheet on purpose. The nature of it. Let's circle some things that I have typed that verse in. You can circle them. Some things that help us to understand the nature of proven faith. It is more precious. Circle those two words. Next circle, tested by fire. Another quality of proven faith. Thirdly, circle, may be found may be found. And what is it found to do the rest of the verse? To result. And notice, it is found to give glory to God, not ourselves. So many times there are great heroes and they're focused on. This guy Walter, the truck driver in Buffalo, incredible story. Semi-truck driver in that horrible 60 inches of snow in one storm. Can you imagine that? I mean, it's just astounding. People trapped in their homes, they can't get out. And if you don't know the story of truck driver Walter that occurred last week when he was stranded in a semi in Buffalo, New York, and uh, preceded to save people, especially seniors, 20 to 30 seniors, stranded all around him, one by one. Incredible story. But you know what? Everything focused on Walter. He's the hero, rightly so. He's the one getting an award from the Buffalo mayor, rightly so. He suffered greatly in what he did. This suffering is found to result in the praise of Christ. Not us. We don't say, I've got, I've got joy in the midst of suffering. I'm pretty good. No, we start to realize as we traverse through the rest of verse 7 that we're rotten and we're powerless. And if we have joy in the midst of suffering, it's his doing alone. Number one under letter B. Proven faith is, the first thing we circled was more precious, is more precious than perishing gold. And here we will park for the rest of this evening. More precious than gold, which is perishable. Proven faith is more precious than perishing gold. Now, this is a dynamite principle that is so lost on us today. Being more precious in your textual note refers to the direct preceding idea. Being more precious refers to the direct preceding idea, which is proven faith. So proven faith is what is more precious than gold, which is perishable. So when it says in verse 7 at the beginning, so that the legitimacy of your faith, the saving faith, that legitimacy of your saving faith, that is more precious 
than gold. The proof of your legitimate conversion is more precious than gold. Proven faith, not just any old faith, is more precious than gold. I wish believers would forever now, let's get our 357 revolver out, revolver out with wad cutters, and let's shoot full of holes this statement. Um, I wish we would unload this idea that is so prevalent in and out of our church and other churches among believers. How do you know you're saved? Uh, how do you know so-and-so is saved? And the answer almost always come back, I'm saved, or I know this person is saved because they made a profession of faith in Jesus Christ. No, that's how you get saved. That's how you, that is not how you know you're saved. So let's dump that statement. Write it down under the textual note. I know I'm saved because I made a profession of faith. Let's dump that. This is fundamental misunderstanding. That is not how you know you're saved. That is how you get saved. A profession of faith does not prove you're saved. Did you see profession of faith at the beginning of verse 7? Is that what is the proof that is more precious than gold? No. It is joy in the midst of suffering that proves the faith. So I'm saved because I made a profession of faith. How do you know so-and-so is saved? Well, they made a profession of faith. I hear that all the time. That doesn't prove anything. Remember? We've got paintings that are originals and paintings that are forgery, and they look exactly the same. You've got to study the brushstrokes. And when you're trying to determine the forgery of a unit, you've got to date the painting, and you've got to date and examine the brushstrokes and so forth. It takes a lot of study. I'm saved because I made a profession of faith is not how we know someone is saved. So we want to shoot that full of holes. You don't want to say that to anyone anymore, right? You don't want to say that ever again. How do you know so-and-so in your family or a friend? How do you know they're saved? Well, they made a profession of faith. That, you don't want to say that. That doesn't prove anything. You've got a family member that's made a profession of faith. That doesn't mean they're saved. That's no proof. Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So when he's light-bearing, does that prove that he's saved? No. Instead, we need to say this. I came up to you and said, how do you know so-and-so is saved? Well, the person professed faith in Christ, but I'm waiting to see if that profession proves to be legitimate. That's an accurate statement. Well, the person professed faith in Christ... But I'm waiting to see if that profession proves to be legitimate. That's the correct statement. That's biblical. It is the proof of faith that is precious. Because it shows legitimacy. Again, I come up to you or somebody and say, how do you know so-and-so saved? Well, the person professed faith in Christ, that's true. But I'm waiting to see if that profession proves to be legitimate. So someone makes a profession of faith in Christ in church. Any church. Pick your church. What do we say to that? Do we want to say instantly, praise the Lord, the person's saved? We don't know that. We don't know that at all. Profession doesn't prove anything. Does it? Isn't that what we're studying? What proves the faith in verse 7? What proves the faith? What? 
Joy while suffering directly for Christ. That's the proof. So what would you then, after a profession of faith, want to look for? Joy while suffering for Christ. If the person isn't witnessing at all or serving in a church, how could they suffer? Right? And if they're not suffering, where's the proof? You could also go down to verse 14. After a profession of faith in Christ, is this a child of obedience? We could start to plumb the depths, whether this professed believer is reading their Bible and what are they reading. And this is part of new convert discipleship. What are you reading in the Bible? Do you understand what you're reading? What are you learning new? What are you obeying from the Bible? And then secondly, conform to the form of lusts. You want to examine the person's depravity before conversion in verse 14 and then how they're behaving in relation to their battle with lusts after conversion. These are very profound and direct ways to assess so at the end of the day, under textual note, when someone makes a profession of faith in Christ, what should we say to that? Are they saved or are they not? We don't know. That's the answer that the church has abandoned. We just assumed, it's done. He said the words, it's done, saved, no longer need to pray for him, saved, made the profession, that's all I needed. Now I can rest, the person's not going to hell. Mm-mm. How foolish that is. So if you lead someone to Christ, what you say is, you got saved by asking Jesus to save you and become your Lord and Savior by repenting of your sins. But now you and I need to sit down and find out if your profession of faith in Jesus Christ is legitimate. And we don't know till we see proofs. Is that as clear as a bell? Is that what the text is telling us? All right. So wrap your head around that one. This means you have to untrain yourself. Because I hear it all the time. I'm not accusing anyone in the auditorium of anything. I'm just saying over the years, I've heard this. I'll ask the question, how do you know the person's saved? And I'm looking for proofs. And I'll hear back almost 99 times out of 100, well, I mean a profession of faith in Jesus Christ. I'm just trusting the Lord that they're saved. You don't do that. Don't confuse how one gets saved with proof one gets saved. Listen, joy while suffering for Christ is not how you get saved. Did you hear that? Having joy while suffering for Christ is not how you get saved. That would be works. Profession of faith in Christ is how you get saved. Profession of faith in Christ is not proof. So think about that. Joy while suffering for Christ is not how you get saved. And profession is not proof that you're saved. And if you invert those, you're in a world of heretical trouble. So yes, actually, we're borderline heretics when someone like me says to us, how do you know that person is saved? And we say, because they made a profession of faith. No, 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 no. That is not a proof. You're mixing up proofs with profession. How to be saved and fruit of salvation. 
We dare not do that. You can damn a person to hell by doing that. Well, I want you to know, now that you've made a profession of faith, we can rejoice together, since you said the prayer, we can rejoice that we now know that you're a born-again Christian. You could very well have damned the person to hell for that because before they made the profession of faith, they knew they were lost. And now that they made the profession of faith and you tell them that that profession is proof, that removes all conscience of self-examination. Well, I made the profession, so I know that I'm saved. This is so extremely important. So perspective number three is extremely important. Joy while suffering for Christ is proof that our salvation is real. Say the mantra to yourself. Profession brings salvation. Fruit proves salvation. Profession brings salvation. Proof legitimizes salvation. And the proof here is joy while suffering for Christ. You understand then when anyone makes a profession of faith in Jesus Christ, it is impossible to know whether they're saved or not. I don't go around telling anybody that uh, I know a new convert. They're saved. Hey, they're saved. We can take them off the prayer sheet. You know, they're saved. Oh, how do you know they're saved? Because they made a profession. Nope. That's not right. So we want instead a statement that is far more accurate. How do you know so-and-so is saved? Well, they made a profession of faith in Jesus Christ, and that's how a person gets saved. But I'm waiting and praying and discipling this person to see if the profession proves to be legitimate. And of course, if they make a profession, a legitimate profession of faith in Jesus Christ, and then over time, nothing changes in the person's life, what can we say about the profession? Forgery. And that needs to be confronted. You made a profession months, years ago. Nothing's changed in your life. And I've discipled you on what needs to change as a result of your conversion, so, so to speak. And nothing's changed. You're the same before and afterward. So I see no evidence or legitimacy to your, to your profession of faith because uh, dakimazo means that you need to prove by fruit that you're a believer. And you're not doing that to me. That is tough love right there. And we need to examine this to see why you could be converted and not ever be transformed. Because that's not biblical Christianity. Conversion without transformation. I'll conclude with a MacArthur quote, which, by the way, he got sick after his first sermon today in live Zoom. So pray for MacArthur. And then uh, one of his young pastors got up and preached an unbelievable... Did anyone watch that sermon today on live uh, Grace to You? Sue and I were watching it while we were gambling. I, I mean, while we were eating lunch. And um, he stepped in like with a half hour to prepare and knocked out a one-hour, unbelievably brilliant sermon with uh, John MacArthur sick. Like, whew, wow. There's guys like me, then there's guys like him. I couldn't have done that. Ten ways to Sunday, I'll tell you that. Incredible. But anyways, MacArthur says, and I conclude, suffering should not diminish a believer's joy. And this verse 7 states why. Suffering combined with triumphant joy validates the Christian's faith. So when a person gets saved, the Spirit comes in, and he's going to start doing three things right off the bat. Automatically, the Spirit enters into the mind, creates a new nature, which is holy and perfect, as we were reminded this morning in the sermon. 
Spirit of God comes and lives within the mind of the new convert and instantly starts to produce miraculous transformation. Number one, the Spirit starts opening the mouth of the new convert to witness like crazy of Christ, bringing suffering and persecution. And part of that is also creates a tremendous desire to not just come sit, listen, and leave, but I have a Holy Spirit-produced desire to want to serve the Christ who saved me from hell. The mandate of every believer in a local church. Number two, the person who makes a legitimate dokimazo, proven faith in Christ, and has the faith, it becomes massively hungry automatically for the word of God. Just soaking up the word. Tons of questions. I've always over the years been able to tell usually a true disciple of the faith. When I'm discipling a new convert, I sit down and say, well, what are you learning new in the Bible? Oh, I've got so many questions. I was reading this, I was reading this, I was reading this. Please help me, help me, help me, help me. Instead of, uh, oh, well, I was kind of busy this week and uh, didn't get around to reading my Bible. You're a new convert, and you didn't get around to reading the Bible? The book that just snatched you from the eternal flames of hell, and you're too busy this week as a new convert? That should be 10, 10 years down the line when you get born with the Bible. No. Verse 14. Children of obedience. I am hungering to not just serve, not just witness. Verse 7. But verse 14, I'm hungering to obey, I am so wicked, and I've been polluted by my former life of lust that was in my ignorance, as verse 14 says. And that's number three. Now the true believer, the Spirit comes in, and all of a sudden produces an oh my goodness shock in the mind of the dead unbeliever that's now converted. I can't believe this. I was looking at lust as a field of flowers before conversion. Now I see I'm in a corrupted valley of decay. It's everywhere. How do I get this out of my mind? The illumination of lust in verse 14. And none of this, okay, you said the prayer. You are now saved for sure. Mm -mm. Warning. Red lights spinning above the door. Do not enter into such heretical thinking. Next Sunday night, we see what it is more precious than, than gold. Wow. Gold? I'll take some gold tonight. It ain't nothing like what was going on in the New Testament. We'll see that the most valuable commodity in the Roman Empire, right there in verse 7, can't hold a candle to the precious value of proven faith. Thank you, Father, so much for your word. We leave it now temporarily in corporate learning to go to permanently and regularly during each day of the week, privately hungering and studying your word to fellowship with the Spirit to be transformed. Empower us to do this in Jesus' name. Amen.